0: Desiree Berg, and welcome to the 34th. Hi, I'm Tina Desiree Berg, and today we're speaking with Brooke Hines, who is with the Progressive News Network. Welcome, Brooke.
1: Hey there. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. Well, I wanted to have you on the podcast because you recently did a piece on your Substack that was sort of an interesting deep dive into troll farms and into grifting. And it kind of related to this idea that I think is just completely ridiculous that there's something about the right and the left coming together at the very top of a circle and engaging in the exact same beliefs. And I just think that that's absolute hogwash. But for some reason, the establishment or the corporate oligarchy or whoever, wants Americans um, to engage in this sort of conflict because it serves their interests at the end of the day. So walk us a little bit about what motivated you to write this piece.
1: Well, definitely, uh, definitely there was this sense of I was seeing people getting bullied and that just sets me off. That's a big trigger of mine. And so I wanted to look into it. And it didn't seem like things were like this was your usual attack on the left Mm -hmm. because I noticed that uh, that there was a tribalism that was filtering all the way down to my own social groups so that chat groups that I was in were starting to divide down lines of people who were um, taking one side or the other. And the last straw for me was one particular group one night uh, started going after the gray zone, and these are people and this who had was on never, twitter, just to be clear on twitter okay and and these are people who had never i'd never prior seen have any interest in foreign policy, and all of a sudden, they were very concerned with uh, uh the gray zone and the quality of their reporting and I thought hmm. that felt manufactured, and so uh I, I thought well now now i'm going to dig into it because you, you know i i the gray zone is such a uh a, a rock you know like they're solid they, do solid, they reporting. do solid
0: reporting yeah
1: and when i see people go after a group that i know does solid reporting that gives me the toehold to say all right at least i know that's wrong so what can we say from there
0: Exactly. And so for folks that are not familiar with the gray zone, this is the foreign policy website that was started by Max Blumenthal. Max Blumenthal is a solid journalist. I have never known him to report lies. He's actually old school investigation. So he, you know, double checks his sources and what have you. So so that's a that's a good sign that there's something off there. And um, what exactly is this idea of a red-brown alliance is is what they're, they're calling it, a red-brown alliance. And to me, this just seems ridiculous because there might be policy areas where people agree. I understand that there are folks on the far right, there are Nazis probably even, that think Medicare for all is a good idea. That doesn't mean that there's an alliance with people on the left. I mean, really, Antifa is now going to, connect with Nazis because Nazis like Medicare for all, just the absolute logic of that is absurd to me. But here we have some folks that are trying to make the case for this. Why would they make the case for that? And what were the, what would be the benefits of that?
1: Well, I think that there is a benefit. I mean, for, for, for elites who really don't want to see anything happen. There is, there's a fear that working class people Uh, will unite across class rather than across identity and so i mean that's just historical especially in the united states when as soon as you know the cio got with the afl then they were really a a force to be reckoned with um so so once you cross those, those barriers and you're just talking about class then people are uh, threatening the bottom line of some corporations and some very rich people, you know, essentially. I mean, essentially, we're talking about dollars and cents when you're yeah. talking about class. So it, it hurts people in their pocketbooks or in their wallets. And in terms of this red-brown alliance, we've seen this crop up uh, in way back in history. But recently... Uh, In the last couple of years, we've seen it crop up in terms of uh, whether or not the left should uh, embrace some of the, I think the way it went was, should the left embrace some of the policy that aligns with our policy? And that caused a big ruckus on the left with a lot of people saying, no, we don't wanna do that. We of course don't wanna do that.
0: With the right. Um,
1: with the right oh, okay um sure. uh, and i forget exactly what policy position seemed like it was likely to be uh um appealing to both groups but I mean, at Medicare any rate for all it was, the
0: obvious one i mean you know you have a plurality of voters that support it on both sides now so i mean there's there, i think the right and the left do support that across the board it's the corporate oligarchy that does not so that might be a good mm-hmm. example. But does that mean that, Medicare for all is bad because some people on the right support it? Of course it doesn't. That's ridiculous.
1: And I think that's what I, I, I think that's what they wanted to say. I think that's what a lot of people on the left wanted to say. But I think that there was that it's just never been examined well enough, you know, that we don't really know what we're talking about when we're talking about uh, the the interests of the left and the right aligning. So, for instance, uh if I have an interest in in Medicare for all and my in-laws who are on the, on the right, they have an interest in Medicare for all, then our interests are aligning on that one um, piece. And I'm going to want probably for my representatives and my lawmakers to work with their lawmakers. In, In other words, it's not up to me to go out and, you know, find somebody on the right that I agree with, that's that's not really how it works. And I think that there's an imagined uh, cabal or imagined conspiracy of this red-brown, you know, all of these uh, alt-right people on one side and all of these uh, uh, socialists or democratic socialists on the other side uh, conspiring to, you know, muddy the waters, muddy the political waters.
0: You know, what's really ridiculous about that, too, is a, a prime counter example would be the fact that Richard Spencer, who is a uh, self-proclaimed neo-Nazi, like he's a Nazi, he admits it, he loves it. He uh, endorsed Joe Biden this last election cycle. So if so, how could they make the claim that it's democratic socialists that are, are the ones that are aligning or trying to appeal to these folks when you have an absolute neo-Nazi endorsing Biden, who is clearly a center right Establishment or corporate, however you want to frame that, Democrat. So there's so many counterexamples to why that's not true. And honestly, this whole idea that political spectrum is a circle that meets at the top is ridiculous anyway. It's never been that way because you have you have four. You know, the, the way I like to look at it is the four boxes because you have authoritarian versions and you have anarcho, which are non status versions of everything. So that runs mm-hmm. the gamut. So you can be up here authoritarian right or you could be down here a narco right or you could mm-hmm. be anarcho leftist or authoritarian leftist right so there's no real um, there's no real place where that actually happens and if it just seems to be the case that there's a couple policy positions that everybody aligns on that doesn't mean that there's a cabal of i don't know bad people <laughs> that are in this red brown alliance and that we should hate them so that takes me to Alexander Reed Ross, because this is what sort of attracted me to your piece. I knew this guy previously because he had been disavowed and had his writing on the Southern Poverty Law Center website removed because he was making not only uh, nefarious claims, in many cases they were error-ridden and egregious. You know, one of the claims that he made was that uh, the the editor of... Um, the nation was part of this red brown alliance which is absolutely the most ridiculous thing ever stated another mm-hmm. thing um you know another thing he did in this particular article so the daily beast picked him up and had him rewrite basically what had been taken down by the southern poverty law center which is crazy to me if you're mm-hmm. a, if you're a news site you shouldn't be doing that but one of you know one of the newer claims that he had made in this article for example was that i uh, a, a, a man who, normal Norman Finkelstein, now you might find him to be extremist in his viewpoints. You might not like everything he has to say, but the fact of the matter is, is he is Jewish and he had family members perish in the Holocaust. And so in no way is it ever appropriate for you to refer to him as a Holocaust denier, which is what this guy did. This is just absolutely offensive because he wanted absolutely. to make him part of this brown red alliance. Leftist Jewish guy is meeting with the neo-nazis it's just so egregious that's just but one of many examples in this article and you did a really good uh, job going piece by piece on his errors so uh walk us through some of the bigger ones that you noticed and why they were wrong
1: okay uh so so he has a pattern of error riddled, riddled uh, uh, articles. The Daily Beast article was just full of, of factual errors, and it looked to me like it, like no one had actually fact checked it. Which you know maybe could be the way that they run the Daily Beast, maybe not. Like for instance, he erroneously claimed that uh, Nick Mullen uh, from Cumtown podcast had appeared on the Bill Maher show. Which never happened. Uh, would never happen. Oh, and that he dropped a bunch of N-bombs N- on the Bill Maher show. None of that happened. Even, but, you know, uh, hey, no, let me
0: stop you there. Bill Maher has been caught saying the N-word on his show. So, I mean, if anybody said it was Bill, right?
1: Right. And that's where the problem came in, because Nick Mullen was doing a bit on his own show making fun of Bill Maher so so right there alexander reed ross is unable to understand uh comedy or satire in itself um but basically what what alexander reed ross is trying to say is that he has this theory of syncretic networks uh which is which i say is basically guilt by association but mm-hmm. he, he's trying to say that there's these things called syncretic networks, and that's where uh, a, a publication that is on the left might interact with a, um, a group of people who are uh, a left or right adi- adjacent, and those people then interact with a third group over here that is unrelated to the first group, but because they're all connected somehow, on Twitter, that makes them a syncretic network that that shows some kind of flow of, um, a, a, of discourse or information or, or or something important. And it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if if any of the groups that he wants to associate with each other have associations, he needs to bring forth the evidence that right. that, that those associations exist. He can't just throw them onto a, a chart and say that because they're all on the internet or all using social media and somebody from one group shares an article from another group that they're related that is absolute nonsense and it's also it's also just really bad reasoning it's a fallacy he's 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 created this um uh, his idea of syncretism the, the syncretic net network is itself a uh oh it's the word I'm looking for I can't find it in my piece um it's
0: just it just it's it's uh nonsense is what it is I'm gonna go with nonsense I don't yeah his entire uh the, the entire base of his argument is just ridiculous look a broken clock is right twice a day mm-hmm like are Absolutely. there people that i i dislike immensely and think are intolerable horrible hateful individuals and do they sometimes say something i agree with of course i mean that's just, mm-hmm. that's just reality um but to to claim that this is a basis for something is ridiculous i also noticed that several of the people some of the people in his um, article i actually know personally so i was kind of teed off by some of that And then there was a few people in there that are absolutely not on the left that he was claiming were leftists for. And I I just don't know if he just doesn't understand um, the popular culture of the dirt of the dirtbag left or. Mm -hmm. Or is is he or does he understand it? And he's getting paid to sort of put out this propaganda hit piece uh, that is associated now with the troll farms. Let's go. Let's move to that for a second, because this is what I found was really interesting. There were troll farms that were promoting this stuff. Uh, I saw it myself on Twitter. A lot of them used the same verbiage over and over again. Um, and there were also some high-profile folks all of a sudden that I saw sort of siding with this nonsense that are people that I I know and was kind of shocked to see them do this. So there was all kinds of strange things surrounding this. So it was interesting that you got a little bit into the um, the aspects of, of actually verifying and looking into these troll farms. So tell us a little bit about that.
1: Well, the, uh, the case study for these kind of troll farms is Sally Albright's, uh, operation that she got caught. She, she was, uh, she was running, she was running a number of what I call sock puppets or alt accounts, uh, that we're boosting her own marketing. So she's doing marketing for for clients, uh, for political candidates and and for campaigns. And let's start for a second.
0: Who is Sally Albright? If you don't know who this individual is, I know who she is. Um, She's a DNC operative, but she's also worked for Newt Gingrich. But tell us a little bit about Sally Albright for folks that aren't familiar with who she is.
1: Well, she uh, she was um, very, she's not as visible now. Uh she she is back on Twitter but Her she was, was uh, suspended
0: for the troll farms
1: mm mm-hmm. mhm she okay. was suspended uh she was associated with uh all, that whole kind of grifting network of Eric Garland and uh, Scott Dworkin right. and the and the early k uh th- there's a really good uh a deep dive into her troll farm network that is available online. If you just do a share blue, uh, Google share blue and Sally Albright, it'll come right up. Um, and so, well, and she was so share blue was part of David Brock's operation. Right. And so, this was they they had bought up a couple of um, publications and were trying to put together this quasi. Journalism, really just messaging farm that would push out all this information. Uh, and so that was an early iteration. She got caught because she was using a tool called Buffer, which allows you to manage multiple uh identities online. She tweeted at Buffer like a like a big, you know, calling the manager. She tweeted at Buffer that.
0: Oh, she hey,
1: did. I missed that. She, she went the, full the, Karen the,
0: on Twitter um, at Buffer and exposed herself.
1: Exposed herself. She said, "How come I can't access all of my accounts?" And she actually took a screenshot of all of these accounts that were fake that she was running, and wanted to know why from Buffer that she couldn't use them. That's so, hilarious. And that's how she got found out, by the way. Once once people were on her, they started doing reverse image searches of each of the uh, um, accounts and found that she was using photographs of real people, like real known people, like a like a, a competitive uh, ice skater from like Denmark or somewhere. And you know these these were real people that she just grabbed their photos off the um, web. She should have. I feel like she should have been indicted for some kind of uh, identity fraud or yeah, no identity kidding. theft.
0: But, you know, here's the thing, Brooke, this stuff isn't uncommon. It's just become uh, more obvious to Americans now. We have to look back at really H.B. Gary and what happened in you know, 2010, 2011. They were mm-hmm. sort of the uh, birthplace of what they called persona management and they were using like they would hire one actor and the one actor would manage a hundred accounts online. And in many instances, they even created these fake blog blogs to go along with the social media profile. So you would have somebody with a Facebook, a Twitter, and a blog. And it, all of it was fake, right? Uh, but mm-hmm. you know, they used this to attack journalists, they used it to attack uh, union organizers, their clients included both government entities and corporate America. Um, And uh, Aaron Barr was the CEO, but a lot of those folks went on to find, to found uh, corporations that are now well-known like Cambridge Analytica, Palantir. Like, so, you know, this has been going on for a while. It's just gotten to the point though, where you're, you're on Twitter and you're like, I don't even know if this person that's yelling at me is real. And then, you know, 10 minutes later, you've got somebody saying literally the exact same words to you. And you're like, huh, that can't be right. And they're trying to astroturf uh, popular opinion, right? So corporations mm-hmm. are doing it, governments are doing it, political candidates are doing it, and um, to, I think it's a real problem because this is something that we should not not be allowing. It's, it's uh, you know, it's important that our discourse is pure and authentic and uh, this is just another form of propaganda, really.
1: Um, well, and in terms of political speech, uh, I keep reminding people that uh, when you do any form of political marketing, for instance, whether it's a brochure or a yard sign, a T-shirt, whatever it is, you have the disclaimer that says this candidate, uh, it, their committee um, paid for this. The reason why you do that is so that someone you can look up and see what the expenditures are for that campaign, who was paid and who was paid for what. Now, all of this troll farm business, all of this dark social media, the dark arts of the social media, that's all off the books, so, so we all don't off, we yeah. have
0: it's all we super have no idea money.
1: to mm-hmm. know how much money is being spent right. to to you know manage perceptions and this is this is managing perceptions oh, it's absolutely. it's manufacturing reality mm-hmm. it's it's really, really dangerous.
0: I agree, I absolutely agree with you. Um, I wanted to ask you, um, so he's a fellow at something called the Contingent, Contingent Research Institute. Who is that? Uh,
1: okay, so uh, it, I believe it was um, Dan Cohen did a piece on, on where the, this think tank, that he works at and trying to find the... uh, So Dan
0: Cohen also works at the gray zone. Um, He's a journalist. Mm -hmm. Um, He also has, I think, a podcast called Behind the Lens where he does investigative journalism. He actually made his bones reporting on um, Israel and Palestine uh, a few years back. Uh, But he's a solid journalist too. So he did a deep dive into this. So Contingent Research Institute is a think tank. But are they also engaging in troll farming? Is that part of what they're doing?
1: It doesn't look like that's part of what they're doing. It looks like they're more on the end of creating the uh, the first pieces of of information that are then you know pushed out through other channels. Oh, I
0: see. So they're writing articles and producing research pieces, and then the troll farms are sh- are shooting those out into the world. I understand. So you know, I've often said think tanks are very much part of the lobbying industry. You know, corporations donate to think tanks because they get something for it. Even though they're nonprofits, they are certainly not out there doing charitable works. Um, so we should all keep that in mind when you see when you see think tank. Remember that this is probably a lobbying firm of some sort. So
1: there. well thing- and oh, Alexander ahead. Reed Russ is is through this through this think tank called uh, the contagion research institute contagion. contagion yes. Oh, my God, a network contagion. It just sounds so nefarious. Yes. But it's funded by Charles Koch, you know? And wow. and and he, through this, he's, you know, trying to silence the left. And, of course, child, that's in the interest of Charles Koch. Right. Um, but it also collaborates with ex-CIA agents, uh, Depl- Department of Homeland Security officials, and a GOP congressman who moonlights as a Bigfoot scholar. And so... <laughs> Wait. Who's the that? organization Wait, who's was. Who is that? Uh, Again, that's look, real. I, that is real. That is real. Um, and I think it was Max Blumenthal that, that reported. Ed Ben Norton and Max Blumenthal. Did be, so, okay. uh So, see Brian Becker. That's funny. It'll be in it is hilarious. And so uh, Ross threw a purple fit. When people were going after him and ridiculing him on Twitter. And he said that that, oh, what you're just trying to do is smear the groups that I work with. And you know, I asked the question like, the group you work with is funded by Charles Koch and includes a, a Bigfoot scholar. They're doing quite a good fine, a fine job of Oops. smearing themselves, exactly. smirching their own, you know, character there. Right.
0: <laughs> Yeah, no, Charles Koch, I mean, again, he is the super right. What's really uh, sort of ironic about that is Charles Koch is on the super right. And now Alexander Reed Ross, who claims to be on the left and is accusing others of having this, you know, red-brown alliance, is associating himself with one of the most nefarious characters on the the far right. You know, Charles Koch has a history of... of, um, you know he's a guy that argued that child labor was perfectly acceptable just to give folks an idea if you don't know who he is uh, and he's very wealthy his uh dad was the founder of a large uh, enterprise uh, a lot of the brands that you buy for you know toilet paper paper towels are owned by are owned by uh, coke industries so he's got a lot of money and he spends a lot of money on politics and installing um various uh politicians to do his bidding and he also is known for uh, funding the Tea Party at its uh, base when it first started out because he thought that he would be able to financially benefit from that. So, that's right. Yeah. So I find it kind of ironic that that's where the money's coming from. So now, what is their connection to going after uh, foreign policy journalists that might be challenging the military industrial complex?
1: Oh, that's a you know what? That's a that's a good question, because this has been a long time project of Alexander Reed Ross. The article in Southern Poverty Law Center Hate Watch blog goes back to 2018. But I think he's been at it since uh, before then. Now, this is somebody who uh, Alexander Reed Ross refers to himself as an anarchist and a, an, a, an MSNBC anarcho syndicalist, I believe. Just <laughs> wait, hang on, just, wait,
0: hang on, hang on. Anarcho MSNBC, what is that supposed to mean? Non status <laughs> n- news network? That's just anarcho that's just a M- word salad. That doesn't mean
1: anything. <laughs> exactly. And well, and like syncretic networks, it, it, it is absolutely meaningless. Uh, he's just creating fallacies upon fallacies. Right uh the um, the uh, foreign policy angle on this, I think is uh, kind of bothers me more than than the domestic policy because I think that Medicare for all and uh, you know all of the the things that we stand behind kind of speak for themselves. But when it comes to foreign policy, a lot of people on the left uh, don't have the, Anti-imperialist or anti-war uh, background, and just bank of knowledge that we used to have, you know. Because, I, like, I remember when when I first got involved as a as an activist was way back during Iran Contra, and it had to do with the United States doing covert war in Nicaragua and uh, El Salvador and, and in Central America generally. And we haven't done that in a while. Even even during the Iraq war, there wasn't that much anti-war, anti-imperialist sentiment like what I was used to uh, when I was in college. So I think that there's an attempt to attack people doing foreign policy reportage Mm. because they see it as weak. They see it that. The, the the left doesn't have a good background in foreign policy kinds of issues and there's a lot of money to be made in these escapades in in you know these these countries they're fighting resource wars and yeah it's they're
0: fighting resource hot. wars and they're making all of these countries safe for american enterprise so there's mm-hmm. definitely money to be made
1: right we want the lithium in bolivia And like like Bolivia is a really good example because uh, AOC famously uh, took the side of the the people who were doing the right wing coup right when it started, and held up the uh, tricolor flag instead of the indigenous flag, and everybody said whoa 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 you're on the right wrong side here, and she had to walk that back and apologize and say you know this is. This is I I, that she was ill informed, you know, uh, of what was going on there. I think these people really want to keep people ill informed, so that we don't pay any attention to, uh, you know, what they do with the oil and gas with Petavesa or with the lithium in in Bolivia or what's getting ready to happen in Ukraine again. uh, You know, we've got we've got tanks massing on both sides of the borders.
0: Expansion of NATO. Uh, Ukraine is a definite hotspot right now. They have the, the far right in Ukraine is very disturbing to me because they are um, proudly embracing Nazi ideals. They don't see the problem with it. There's that photo that was recently circulating on the internet where that group, uh, the far right group in the Ukraine, was holding up both a Nazi flag and a NATO flag. And this oh doesn't my God. seem yeah, this doesn't seem to disturb anybody in uh, the American government, though, because it's both it's both parties that do this. It's bipartisan. So you know, you have the Biden administration using a lot of the same folks that uh, were were on for fighting for this guy in the Ukraine, right? And same people with Trump. So you know, they might have their nuanced differences like Trump wants to go after Biden's son. Okay, whatever but <laughs> but but they fundamentally embrace the same sort of american uh imperialism american exceptionalism and they try to sell it to the uh, public as a humanitarian uh war right but really that's not what's going on here
1: um uh, time i can remember an american politician really sticking his neck out uh, on a foreign policy issue was alan grayson to stop yeah. bombing of syria that's right and he He went out there all by himself, and he actually won that. He was able to at least then stop Obama bombing Syria.
0: Yeah. No, you're right. I mean, it it doesn't happen often enough. And Obama really amped up a lot of the drone bombing. Uh, That's just a fact of the matter. So the Democrats can pretend to be something other than that, but the reality is is they are just as pro-war as the Republicans are. And I think the other part of the equation, of course, is Russia, because now the argument is— We have to be stronger with NATO because of Russia. They've reignited a second Cold War. Almost, we're at the brink of that. And again, it's both parties that have been pushing that idea. It's it's certainly not one or the other. Uh, You know, make Russia the boogeyman, and now of course China too is is coming into play. So why is it that Americans never question what they're being sold? I mean, some people do. Obviously, you are. I do. You know, the gray zone does. But so many Americans buy into this idea of, of American empire being the good guys. And they ignore all of the the fundamentally uh, flawed regime change wars that we've been involved in that have just created huge problems. I mean, Libya is a prime example after we, just, we helped to destabilize Libya. And granted, the Libyans might have uh, come to that place on their own, and they want democracy. And I, I think all of that's true. But I do think that the way we engaged in that and then left them opened up a very big gap for what happened next, which was a, a slave trade. So a, right. time and time again, we de- we destabilize regions in the name of American business interests, and then we're not there to fix what we broke.
1: So of course not.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. so you're so basically these guys, whether um, Contagion Research Institute, Alexander Rod Reed, Reed Ross. All of these folks, their troll farms, are trying to push forward on ideas that help American business, and they want to sell it to the American uh, population in a way that's more palatable, right? It's a humanitarian crisis. It's this, Mm -hmm. it's that. It's democracy abroad. We have to support democracy. Russia's not democracy. They're communist, even though that's not even the case anymore. So all of this basic propaganda rhetoric we hear. So why is it then, let me ask you this, so why is it then that there were folks that you know, claim to be progressives, buy into this as well, and started start pushing it. Is it that they're just simply ill informed, as is the case with AOC, as you mentioned earlier, or is there something more nefarious going on?
1: Well, I think that there is a a very natural social uh, uh, like like sociology of this. I think that. Uh, I think that you've got and I mentioned in the article, I think that you've got some some A listers, some social media A listers, social media B listers and social media D listers. Yeah. And there has been we've all noticed this. There's been a, a, every once in a while, you know, as a D lister, I'll get pulled into a group with like a B lister. And that's usually to boost, you know, the the. Uh, signals boost the, the the messages that they're putting out. And, mm-hmm. you know, if if your interests align, that's fine. But I think what we saw with all of this is people's interests start to not align and turn by a quarter. So what happened was the people who really wanted to cement their, their relationship as D-listers with the B-listers, they really grabbed onto that and grabbed onto it hard. And the people who who were skeptical of it pushed back on them really hard and said, no, look, this is really a bunch of, and you know nobody nobody is taking you seriously right now
0: yeah no it, it really was i was i was just really i was just really surprised to see this guy be given a platform after the nonsense that happened with the southern poverty law center and and really he is um he is a really good case study as to how all of this how all of this works where you have the think tank creating the messaging creating the research creating the articles where you have the media picking up on uh, the things that they ha- say, oftentimes the media will print think tank articles that are just handed to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Politico has been caught doing this. The Daily Beast clearly does it. Even the Washington Post has engaged in this. And I think it's uh, very egregious and should not be the case. I don't think it's honest. I don't think it's authentic. Uh, but then, you know, then they take it to the social media platforms to be pushed out. So you're right. So. You know, and sometimes people should realize this. Some people get paid to tweet things out. They get money per tweet. This is not some crazy thing I'm saying. Twitter actually has its own agency called Niche that that uh, you know, if you're a verified account or you're an account with a large following, you can join this uh, Twitter Niche thing, and they you go, you log in, and sponsors will contact you and sa- and offer you money to tweet out things. And wow. If- <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I guess a lot of people don't know about this. Um, I actually joined it just to see what it was about because I was I wanted to know, like, what is this about? Like, I had been at the uh, CES. This is before COVID, obviously, the year before when you could still see people in, uh, you know, exhibition halls and things. But uh, I, and Twitter had a, had a uh, table there and they talked to them. and She's like, oh, you, you're a verified account. You should join Niche. And I'm like, what's Niche? And she told me and I was like, that doesn't sound right, but okay, you know what I mean. Like for me, for an authentic person, like I, I'm sorry if Doritos is asking me to tweet out tweet out something about their woke chips. hmm mm-hmm. I'm I'm just I'm gonna say no, just because that's just not who I am. But but there are plenty of, of what you what you call the social media B-listers that will absolutely do that and make money doing it. So of course. Uh, I don't know the extent of this that's political. I do know that it does happen in politics. Uh, I do know that candidates have budgets for this, or not them per se, personally, but the super PACs that are supporting them do, I should say, let me clarify that. So, I mean, all of these things are working together to create inauthentic uh, viewpoints and, and trying to make things that are popular, that are not popular, be popular, right? So. And it's effective. That's the scary part. It is absolutely effective if it's um done properly. So now you're working on the part two of this piece. Mm-hmm. What's that about?
1: Part two, uh, so I introduced a couple of ideas in part one. Uh, and and interestingly, both of these ideas had uh, concepts had to do with uh, as I was talking about, no makey Const. And Nomiki Kunst actually shows up in some more articles that are making the rounds right now, having to do with this with this whole business. Really, uh, the world wide or the world socialist website did a piece on the origins of AOC, and Nomiki Chomsky is, I would say, higher, a third of the article. You're kidding if, me. It, uh, yeah, so full she disclosure,
0: is, I know Nomiki. I've had drinks with her. Um, do I know about what she does behind closed doors or for money? I do not. Just disclosure there.
1: And, and and so one of the things that I found really interesting in Nomiki's past, and I'm not saying that Nomiki's like a bad person. I'm just trying to kind of crack open the way oh, that uh, quasi-professional and professional left organizing works. Because I, I was a professional organizer, uh, for a few years and then did marketing in that, in that space. And I recognize a lot of things that I don't think people would be very cool with if they knew what was going on. So one of the things that the Nomiki was involved with was a group called New Leaders Council. And supposedly she was involved in, in, on the board in Los Angeles. And I also happened to be a member of new members council. I was a fellow and then I was curriculum coordinator and then I was a co-chair. It wasn't until I became a co-chair of our chapter here in Orlando that I found out who founded new leaders council was the people who founded the uh, DLC NLC oh, and DLC wow. are
0: you serious
1: I, I am totally serious was, wow. I was at a I was at a national conference of NLC me and my husband were and uh the 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 founder of NLC one of the founders of NLC was addressing everyone uh and he kept referring to NLC as DLC and then he said oh screw it it's the same thing and I just was like oh so you're my like, god you're like, oh
0: stop okay so for folks that do not know who the dlc is we need to explain that this is really important information i um wow this is really important so the dlc is is basically where neoliberal third way clinton politics was birthed the dlc was basically created to um to put forth corporate democratic policies in which we had a lot of privatization the market was the moral arbiter so all of the things that we now are very outspoken with about neoliberal policy, about what Bill Clinton did as far as as free markets, you know, supporting banksters over uh, union workers, et cetera. Those, all of those ideas were birthed in the Democratic Leadership Council, the DLC.
1: And when you think about what NLC, what's right in the right in its name, New Leaders Council, what they're doing is they're going out into all of these municipalities and cities. And finding, you know, young up-and-comers, people who uh, might be doing uh, entrepreneurship. Definitely, people who are involved in political organizing, and they're putting them all together and giving them training. Uh, but it's really not—it's really not what you think it is. It's a lot of propaganda, uh, and they have a vendor relationship with another organization mentioned in the article. Called the uh, uh, Truman National Security Project. Okay. So as you're as you're getting your curriculum in New Leaders Council, the uh, Truman Project is coming in and giving you all of their foreign policy right. hawkish, you know, okay. very kind hawkish,
0: of yeah, very, very uh, hawkish. pro-war. So that's really fascinating. So you, how many years were you a part of that before you discovered the truth?
1: I was I was with it for two years. That's
0: crazy.
1: And what had happened was uh, we were a new chapter. So so as it formed, it was just everybody who knew each other who was in organizing. Right. And so we we were like we know each other. We know we're all cool. And there was a couple of other people who came from a non a charity nonprofit kind of work. Right. Uh So and all of that was really cool. But the next year when uh national nlc started manipulating things a little bit more you got to see that really what they were doing was they wanted this more kind of cheesy teach people how to market themselves kind of stuff which i i was like i don't do that I'm, I'm not into that at all i mean like i do advertising and marketing for a living and all of that stuff they were teaching them was so bad like i can't in good faith have a, part of that. Um, and, and so what they're in each of those groups, they are looking for a young person who is impressionable and who is, is, um, a, a competitive and ambitious. And they take a couple of people out of each group and they put them into another level of training. And that level of training is where they learn how to run for office when they're doing that, at least in Florida, as they were doing that, if you wanted to run for office, you had to use the services of one particular uh, consultancy who was involved in NLC. Okay. And, uh, you know, that was, uh, you know, a, a big wheel in Florida politics, Alex Singh. Yeah. So so it was just this pipeline of, you know people you know just trying to find young people that they could control and get them to run for office and it's there have been some pretty big uh, blow ups with it like for instance that uh, they got a mayor elected in Nashville where where I'm from uh, where I lived for a long time and I love Nashville it's a great city uh, and they ha- they had a, a mayor there who had to step down uh, in disgrace. Yeah, so (laughs) apparently they're not doing they're not doing a very good job with their training.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Uh, So that's wild. The DLC rears its ugly head one more time. Um, And obviously they kept that pretty far under wraps if you had been uh, associated with or working with them in their, you know, their work for two years. That's crazy.
1: It's nuts.
0: Wow, it is nuts. Um, So when does the new piece come out?
1: So I'm probably going to push it out tomorrow. Okay. Uh, I, I, I've been I've been editing it and fussing over it uh, long enough. And there's a story in there that it, it is real important to tell about how. Uh, and this this goes back to Namiki Const as well. She ran a group called Alliance Hollywood that trained celebrities how to advocate and do public speaking for political uh, uh, campaigns. Well, I happen to be at a super double secret Daily Co's, uh, convention, or conference in Death Valley, held in Death Valley in 2017, like a month after Trump took office. We went out there because we were supposed to learn about how Russia is infiltrating all our electronics yeah. and so we, we were supposed to learn how to fight back against that and then fight back against russia and i got sent there because i was uh i was the pr chair for the florida state democratic progressive caucus at the time and uh the the, the president didn't want to go because she said i'm not i'm not into camping and I said, "Well, I'll I'll go. I can't resist this. This sounds yeah, like might. a ball."
0: You're like, "Let me just grab my popcorn right now." I mean, my god.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a whole other story. I mean, there is some there is some juicy bits of dirt there because essentially what was going on is a Daily Kos, which is a, supposed to be journalism, uh, was had hatched this plan. They had just hatched this plan. And it aligns exactly with what Nomiki was doing. And uh, I find uh, that so with...
0: strange because Daily Kos has been so anti-Bernie Sanders, like not even trying to hide it, just super mm-hmm. anti-Bernie Sanders, that I can't imagine that she would be associated with anything they did.
1: Well, she was before Bernie Sanders came along, Nomiki was supporting Joe Biden to get in the 2016 race, which is just you know, kind of bizarre, you know, like out of left field, because it, you know it was supposed to be just Hillary Clinton and Martin O'Malley. See, I think you got to kind of uh, shift lenses sometimes and ask,, uh, are these people doing the way that uh, um, uh, a media channel does and segmenting right. audiences? And saying, I want this demographic and this demographic and this demographic. So playing multiple
0: sides of the field at the same time and the other and all the other groups don't know that that's what's happening. Yeah, that's you know, that's the ultimate grift, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And and I think that in order to be doing this on a professional level, you have to be engaging the people who are the most engaged. And so if the Bernie people were definitely on the rise at a certain point, if you're somebody who's uh, who makes their nut on on uh, you know, keeping people talking and keeping people engaged, then that's where you need to go, you know? Right.
0: Right. All right. So, Brooke, where can people find you and your work if they uh, want <clears throat> to see your stuff after this podcast?
1: Okay. I am at Substack, brookehines.substack.com, and all my information is on my Twitter page, where you will find a link to my um, broadcast, uh, Progressive News Network (PNN). Uh, we broadcast every Sunday night, seven to nine PM, and distribute to all of the podcatchers. And you can get all that information at my Twitter bio do you, page.
0: Uh, do you live broadcast your podcast? Is it live? Yes, we do. Oh, I didn't yes, we that. do. I'll have to tune yeah. in next Sunday. Thanks for coming on and uh, talking with us about this. I think this is really interesting information that you're digging into, and I can't wait to see the next piece.
1: Thanks for having me. This was a really fun conversation. Right on, right on.